Thanks, Dave. Good morning. As good as it is to be here together, I want to kick us off this morning by asking a completely different question. I'm going to ask, have you ever felt truly alone? Yeah, seeing some nods. We often experience loneliness in the heights and the depths of life. Have you ever had the most perfect golf swing on the golf course, but there was no one to see it? Have you ever done the most perfect parallel park and got in reverse first time and no one saw it? Yeah? What about getting a job or having some really exciting news but not having someone to share it with? Yeah? 100% on an exam. I mean, is that even possible? But no one to tell. Sometimes in those heights, that really exacerbate the sense of who. But it's also in the depths, in the despair, that we experience true loneliness. Grief. Have you ever lost a loved one? A parent, a sibling, a child, a spouse? What about divorce? Yours? Your parents? The loss of a job or redundancy? or failing the exam, or something that you really, really wanted to succeed at. Sometimes it's those heights and, and lows that really exacerbate, that really bring home the sense of aloneness that we can experience. It's in relationships that celebrations are enjoyed and the, the blows are softened. In 2016, in the UK, one of their ministers, the parliament ministers, I'm trying to think of a name, Joe somebody, but I didn't write it down, established a commission, like a royal commission, into loneliness. She could see that there was a need. By 2017, the report was finalised. 2018, it had been tabled. And Theresa May put every single recommendation in. 2018, they established a ministerial lead position for loneliness. It's been come to know the, the role as the Minister for Loneliness. And by 2020, now this is pre-COVID, by 2020, they'd spent £20 million, involved nine government departments and countless myriads of other not-for-profits to try and combat the effects of loneliness. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? The experience of separation from people, the sensation of not belonging, it can be experienced as physical pain. Ugh, it can really hurt. We feel the distress of it really deeply. Loneliness worsens our mental health. It worsens our physical health. It worsens every possible outcome as far as well-being. It's bad for us as individuals and it's bad for us as communities. In the story of creation, God creates and then he says, it is good. But by Genesis 2, 18, God says the exact opposite. He says it is not good. Can anyone tell me why God said it is not good? What follows that? For man to be alone. God said it's not good. Right from the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. 
But this morning, we're launching a new series. Not alone. Over the next few weeks, we're going to delve into a bit more about what Jesus had to say about the fact that we are not alone. We're going to be in John chapter 16 together. We'll kick off today with those first few verses and then we'll dive into the rest of the book, the rest of the chapter over the next few weeks. We're going to start this morning by reading verses 1 to 4 together. It will be up on your screens. If you have a device or a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn there and read it with me. But before we do actually read it, I will pray. If you've got it, close your eyes with me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your words to us. Thank you that they have been recorded and passed on so faithfully. Open our hearts and our minds to them now. By your spirit, bring them alive to us. Use them to change us, to shape us more into the image of your son. And Father, help us to apply them. And give us peace in you. We pray all these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you haven't got your Bible with you, turn to the screens. It'll be on your screens. And um, for those of you at home and joining us online, follow along with us. I'm going to read, starting in verse 1. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus is speaking here to his disciples and he's talking about what will happen once he goes back to heaven. He's going to rejoin the Father and he will no longer physically be with them. And they thought they were going to be alone. First off, we need to remember that this conversation, this, these few verses are not in isolation. They come in the middle of a bigger conversation. Jesus has already told them that he's the only way to the Father that he will send the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will come and be their comforter, revealing truth to them. He has described their relationship in the most intimate of terms. He's used picture language of vines and branches abiding together. And he's told them that the world will hate them. He's also commanded them to love him and love others. This isn't random. Jesus has been talking about what will happen. And in verse 1 of chapter 16, Jesus tells them why he's saying those things. He said, I have told you these things so that you will not fall away. It's an interesting reason, isn't it? So that you will not fall away. Obviously, the potential to fall away because of what's about to happen is there. Or Jesus would not have had to tell them. The other three Gospels, not John, but the other three Gospels all record a parable that Jesus told. We um, see a picture. Jesus tells, gives us a picture of a farmer who sows seed. It's the same seed in four scenarios. The same seed. The seed is the word of life that leads to faith in him. But the four types of soil in each scenario are different. And each type of soil represents the type of person who hears the word. And what they do with it. 
three out of four types of soil do not last or go on to produce the harvest. Three out of four. Those aren't good odds. In Matthew, I'll read you a couple of verses. I haven't got it on the screen. I just want you to listen. This is 13, 20 to 21. This is what Jesus says. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, that's the word leading to faith, they quickly fall away. That's what Jesus is preempting. The falling away in opposition to the word. Why might that be so necessary? Everything these disciples have known about themselves and about Jesus has been wrapped up in culture, in history, in their religion, in Jewishness. Being put out of a synagogue was really a substantial fear. Why? They would truly be alone. They would lose everything that's familiar. They would lose friendships. They would lose family contacts. They would lose their ability to have employment. They would lose their way to worship and be connected with God. It would remove and strip away everything they had about identifying who they are and where they fit in the world. The very essence of them would be gone. Every significant relationship they have is tied to this. Everything. And Jesus is saying they won't have him either. The disciples did experience persecution. It caused them first to leave Jerusalem and then it eventually followed them everywhere they went. They were not only thrown out of synagogues, they were also martyred. Verse 2 happened. Jesus told them this so that they would not fall away. My goodness, doesn't it seem like ignorance is bliss sometimes? Would you have wanted to know? Really? Would you have wanted to know what was coming? Jesus knew they needed to. He's told them this so that they won't fall away. In verse 3, Jesus tells them why it will be done. It's because people don't know him or the Father. This isn't an excuse, but it gives a great motivation to persevere and a great motivation to respond with gracious, extravagant love in the face of opposition. They don't know Jesus. You can love them. He didn't tell them this from the beginning, even though it's been said in this conversation. When he first called them to follow him, he didn't preempt it with this. They didn't need to know then. It's only now that he's about to go to the cross, die, be resurrected, and ascend to the Father that they need to know. Jesus has got the timing just right. They need to know what's in store. There's no bait and switch here. Jesus has given them the full heads up, full disclosure. It's going to get rough, guys. Are you ready? They know how hard it will be, but this really difficult knowledge, we need to remember, it comes in the middle of the conversation. It might be hard to hear and quite shocking, but it's not random. Jesus has already told them they'll receive the Holy Spirit. They just don't know what that's going to look like yet. So their fear of being alone is really understandable. But he doesn't just leave it there. We're going to sneak right to the end of the chapter and I'm going to give you the last verse because I think it's really important. If you're going to learn a verse this series, this is the one to hide in your heart. I have told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Another translation says, be courageous. Take heart, I have overcome the world. It's pretty good news. Take heart, be courageous, I have overcome the world. But what can we make for us today? What can we take from those first four verses of chapter 16 today? How would we apply this to us? I could see two really clear things. I'm sure you can see many more. If you're in life groups this week, I hope you, you dig deep and dive in further and find more things, more ways of applying it. But I can see two really clear things and I want to share them with you this morning. The first one is that Jesus is assuming that we can be prepared. Isn't that an interesting thing? Jesus is assuming that we can be prepared for this opposition. And I can see two ways that he's assuming that knowing what the previous part of the conversation's been. We can abide in him. Our relationship up and down can be strengthened. We can find our identity in him, who he says we are and who he says, excuse me, who he says he is. We can also build our relationships out and be strengthened and prepared. We can build a community of people who will stand alongside us if persecution does come. When we find our identity in who Christ says we are, losing a relationship or a job opportunity or even our reputation, it will sting, it will hurt, but it won't rock us the same way. It won't strip the foundation of who we are or what we know to be true. Looking at the world through eyes that see the eternal perspective will help us see the temporary with more perspective. It will help us hold the things of this world loosely. But this sort of change will only come and happen in us as we abide deeply in Christ and we build relationships out. It will only happen as we spend time in the word, in prayer, and apply what we learn, which will take community, abiding, vine and branches. But building a community of believers around us who want us to follow Jesus no matter what the cost is also going to be essential. We'll never not need it. It will be our community who will help us remember that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not even death, can separate us from Christ. We are better together. As we depend on Christ, we could have the same attitude to suffering that he had. We can arm ourselves with this attitude. There's not much in this world we can control, but our attitude is something we have a pretty big say over. Deciding what we will choose, how we will respond, before we ever get to the sticky pointy end of having to do it, will prepare us. We can decide that we will stand alongside someone else who is being persecuted. We can decide that we will give financial support, public affirmation, silent prayer. We can determine now, before we ever need to, that we will. In First Peter, Peter's writing to believers who are facing severe persecution and opposition for their beliefs, for public allegiance to Christ. And Peter, I've just picked out two verses. Sorry, guys, if we could have the first Peter verse. The slides are out of order, I think. Go to six. Oh, six. 
Peter's writing to these believers, that's it. And now if you want to dig deeper, this whole letter is about how to have a great attitude to persecution and suffering. It's worth a read. But I just want to pull two things out. So 4.10, therefore since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Jesus decided it was better to suffer and be obedient than not. We can have the same attitude. However, if you suffer as a Christian, Peter goes on to write, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. I want that attitude. If opposition comes, I want to have already predetermined that I will praise God because of it. What a good attitude. Peter in this letter calls us to live lives that are so holy that people can't help but notice. So holy, so loving that those who don't yet know Jesus can't ignore it. That our love stands out, our compassion, our grace, our gentleness, our graciousness stands out. That we would have wise words to share at the right time. He also reminds those believers that because of opposition to Christ, it is to be expected that we can praise God because we bear his name. And Peter describes suffering for Jesus as an honour, a privilege, something that's been granted to us. That's the attitude I want. Trouble and persecution can come because of all sorts of reasons. But in John 16, Jesus isn't talking about a time where it's coming because of other reasons. He's talking about a time where it will, we will face opposition because we follow him. He is not describing... You're not being picked for the netball team because you can't play netball. Sometimes we in the West are really quick to say, I'm suffering for my faith, when in fact we're not. There are places around the world where being identified as a Christian is life-threatening. It always has been and it always will be. We're not there yet, but it may happen in our lifetime. We don't know. Our lives aren't necessarily going to struggle with this, but we can determine what we're going to do before we get there. Lives are struggling. We do struggle with other hardships, with griefs and losses. And it's as we abide in community, both with Jesus and with others, that we'll have a better chance of understanding the difference between them. And we'll be ready together to face whatever comes our way. And the second thing, the second thing I see is that Jesus knows we can be peaceful, not fearful about the future. At the end of the conversation, that's what Jesus says, in me you can have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but in me you can have peace. We do not need to be fearful about the future. We can be peaceful. We can base our peace on God's sovereignty and his goodness. No opposition we ever face could take God by surprise and he will never leave us to deal with it on our own. We are not alone. It's good news, isn't it? We are not alone. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul writes uh, to believers talking about temptations and trials that they'll face. And he's saying there's nothing that's not common to man. But also, two points. God will always help you bear up under it or provide a way out from it. But the options are God's, not ours. But we can trust him. That is a good promise. Have you heard of a lady called Corrie Ten Boom? 
Yeah, she wrote an amazing book called The Hiding Place. And her story is quite incredible. If you don't know her story, it's really worth the read. But there's one little snippet I want to share with you. Right from the, when I first saw these verses, this is what jumped into my mind about something that just described to me the imagery here. I want to read it to you. But first of all, Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian. And she was a little girl in the Second World War. And she watched her family hide Jews. They were eventually betrayed and sent off to a concentration camp. And um, the little snippet I want to read to you is not, it's from pre that. So just bear with me for a second. So this is from the book. After witnessing the death of a baby, this is Corrie, she was confronted with the fragile nature of life. Spooked by this experience, she burst into tears and sobbed to her father. I need you. You can't die. You can't. Seeking to comfort and counsel his frightened daughter, Corrie's father sat down beside her and gently said, Corrie, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you, your, give you the ticket? She sniffed a little and replied, Why? Just before we get on the train. Exactly, her father responded. And our wise father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. Don't run ahead of him, Corrie. When the time comes that some of us will have to die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Just like Corrie could trust her earthly father to give her what she needed when she needed it, we can trust our heavenly father even more. God doesn't give us what we need tomorrow, today. We pray the Lord's Prayer, give me today, Lord, my daily bread. We can trust him with today. Today holds enough worries of its own. We don't need to worry about the future. We don't need to be fearful that we're not feeling bold and courageous about what might come. We can be bold and courageous for what today holds. But this sermon is called Not Alone for a reason. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we live in relationship with him, we are never alone again. Never. Let that sink in for a second. You are not alone if you know Jesus. Next week, Pastor Trina is going to help us think about the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is, how he works in our lives, and how he works in the world around us. These disciples didn't know what that was going to look like, but we have the advantage. Jesus says that it's good that he goes to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. Now the disciples couldn't get their heads around that because they'd only known Jesus. But we have the advantage. The church universal is more than just us here in Bendigo. We aren't necessarily experiencing persecution for our faith now, but there are communities and people around the world who are. We can stand alongside them. We can pray, we can share, we can give. We can be invested. We can trust that when persecution comes our way, if it does, that there'll be people around the world who will do the same for us. We are not alone. This is bigger than just you, bigger than just us. This is the church and Christ will make it prevail. Paul reminds us that we don't need to fear. We can live in peace. And that, that, that peace is not just for us. Though it is good, God will give us peace and that's great for us. But sometimes it's about more than just us. In the face of opposition, our peace will be a witness. So in Philippians, if we could grab that slide up, thank you so much. In chapter 1, Paul writes these few verses 
I'm just going to read 28 to you, but feel free to jump back and read the rest. It's actually really helpful. So Paul's writing, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. We can't save ourselves, but trusting that God will can give us peace. That peace will speak volumes to a watching world. We too can rest in God's sovereignty. Jesus didn't tell the disciples at the beginning what he's telling them at the end. He didn't tell them before they needed to know. But the fact that he knows beforehand reveals his sovereignty. It means they can rest in his sovereignty. Remember, I've told you these things so that when it happens, you will remember that Jesus had those words. He knew. We can trust in his sovereignty too. God can be trusted to help us stand up under any pressure or to provide a way out from it. Either way, he's still God and he's still good. That added advantage we have. We are on the other side of the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have seen the difference the Holy Spirit makes in lives. Again, think of Peter. He went from denying Christ three times to a servant girl to speaking before thousands, boldly declaring the name of Jesus. We can trust that God will give us what we need. The way the gospel's been spread around the world wouldn't have happened without persecution. We can trust God with the results. We can see joy and peace in, in others and in ourselves. It goes beyond circumstances. There's no logical reason for us to have the peace that we can have. And we can experience Christian community. We can experience the comfort of Holy Spirit, the comfort of other believers for ourselves. And we know how this all ends. We've got the end of the book, guys. We don't need to worry. In John 16, the disciples are anxious. They're scared. They're confused. They're trying to understand what Jesus is telling them, that he is leaving and that the world will turn against them. But over it all, Jesus says, no matter what happens next, no matter what they're feeling right then and there, they are not alone. The Spirit will guide them. The Father loves them. And Jesus will come back for them. Same for us. The Spirit will guide us. The Father loves us and Jesus is coming back for us. No matter what happens, Jesus has won the battle. We are not alone and we can trust him with what we can't see. If you were sitting in this room this morning or online and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and you haven't yet experienced the joy of knowing him personally, don't leave today before you do. There will be someone here who wants to hear your story. There will be someone here who wants to show you that you are not alone and that you never need to be alone again. If you are here this morning and you do have a relationship with Jesus, what's one thing you can do this week that will either deepen and strengthen your relationship with him or with others? Are you being prompted by the Spirit to fast, to pray, to experience silence, to delve into the word? Or are you being prompted by the Spirit to pick the phone up and make a phone call? Is there someone that needs to hear your encouragement? Or do you need to be encouraged by somebody else? Who are you thinking of that's got your back? 
do you need to join a life group? If your fear of the future is robbing you of your peace today, tell someone about it now. Don't let it steal tomorrow or the day after. Deal with it today and rest in the peace of having shared a burden and experienced the comfort of community. Don't leave here today without deciding to do something that either builds your relationship up and down or strengthens your relationship side to side because we are not alone. And that is truly, truly good news. I want to close by praying together. But if you've got something you're prompted to do, do it today. And um, yeah, looking forward to hearing the stories that come out of this next series. I'm looking forward to hearing the stories of people experiencing relationship with Christ that leads to a great harvest or relationship with others that strengthens them and encourages them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son and thank you for your spirit. Thank you for reminding us today that nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you for your promise to never leave us or forsake us. Your promise to not give us more than we can bear, to, to sustain us no matter what. Thank you that in you we are never, ever alone. Help us to depend on you today and to trust you with our futures. Jesus, help us to live in peace, sharing you with all those who don't yet know you. Give us a compassion that outweighs our fear, Lord. Help us to be a community of believers who have decided that no matter what, we will follow you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you that we can bear your name. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray all these things. Amen. We're going to continue to worship.